Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs, and a place, to, a place, excuse me, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers and a place to donate to keep the special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Kathy L. Hold on. There I go. Hi, I'm Kathy. I'm anorexic and your speaker tonight. Hi, everybody. Um, well, this is my first, I think this is my first time leading on a Zoom. Do I need to close uh, the blinds here? Is it too bright? Uh, can somebody tell me no? Okay. Um, anyway, um, you know, I just realized that um, I was looking forward to putting on lipstick tonight because usually I, I, I like wearing lipstick, but now I go out and I put on a mask and the lipstick just ends up on the inside of my mask. So it's a big waste. Um, but I figured, oh, good, I'm indoors. I can actually put on lipstick. Um, I have been um, in program since 1986 and I have 34 years of abstinence from anorexia. Um, thank you. My abstinence has well, you know changed. What? I'm still proud of you. Oh, somebody's not muted. Um, okay. Um, my abstinence has changed over the years. Um, but initially, what my abstinence was, was that I stopped doing this thing that I did early on in my disease, which was I would swallow up my food. I didn't, I didn't throw up. I never threw up my food. Um, I would bring it right up after I swallowed it. And I would chew it again and swallow it and bring it up. And I would do it about three or four times. And um, that way I was able to extend one bite of food into several bites of food, which I thought was brilliant. I mean, I just thought I had come up with something unbelievable. Um, and of course, when I shared it with, when I, when I initially, I, I was afraid to share it because I thought it was disgusting, but, um, and I guess it is, but it's, it's, it's what, it's, it's my disease and it's, and that I had to go to those lengths to practice my disease. Um, so I, I became anorexic when I was about, 18 or 19 years old in the late 70s. And uh, I got down to, I had, I had a high weight that I know of uh, when I was in college, 127 pounds. And I'm 5'4", <clears throat> and I felt that that was too much for me to weigh. And I wanted to go on a diet and I went back I was away at college and I came back to my, uh, to visit my family and I went to my family doctor and he said, yeah, you, if you want to, you could lose some weight. And he said, you know, just eat a little bit less each, each day, um, have a half a sandwich instead of a sandwich. And, um, 
that kind of thing. But it, that wasn't fast enough for me. So I was away at college and there was this quack diet doctor up there and he would basically give anybody diet pills. So I went to visit him and I was going to share my prescription with my best friend. And it was very easy. I barely had to say anything. And he wrote a prescription. And I used these pills. Like I'm, I'm very, I'm, I grew up in New York, by the way. I just forgot to mention that. I'm very, um, hold on a second. I'm sorry. I'm very um, uh, controlling person. And I was, it was, I was, my parents attempted to control me. So I had to find a way to control to retaliate. And I became a very regimented, very controlling person. So when I got these diet pills, I used to really meet them out. I mean, I didn't take them all week. I would have like maybe a few a week, but that was fine. It was, it was working. And the weight started coming off and I got down to, you know, 120, 118, 115. And over the, gradually over, over the next two years, I lost um, over 40 pounds. I lost over just about a third of my body weight. And um, my, the low weight that I remember was 84 and a half pounds that I weighed. And um, I still didn't think I was thin enough. And the bottom line was that I was never enough. I was never enough for, I felt I was never enough for my parents. I was never enough for myself. I didn't, have, my grades weren't enough. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't smart enough. Um, nothing, nothing I did was enough. And um, so I remained at uh, a very low weight for a while until I, when I was working at an ad agency in New York and my boss came up to me, I, I looked like a skeleton and my boss came up to me and said, um, uh, you have to go see a doctor. And at this point I had lost my period because um, my body just couldn't maintain. And um, so I went to see this doctor, he was an internist and he examined me and afterwards he said to me, well, you're obviously anorexic. And this was the late 70s and anorexia was really not in the zeitgeist. It wasn't part of the vernacular the way it is today. And, um, and he told me that there were a few ways that I could treat it. And I, I was like, first of all, when he said to me, that, uh, he said, you're anorexic. I was like, I couldn't believe that somebody could have seen through me because I thought that I hid it so well. Um, I just used to make excuses all the time. I mean, I would walk places and I would just say, I would say I was doing it because it's good cardiovascular or good for my heart. I was, everything I was doing was to lose weight. Every single thing I did was to lose weight. Um, I barely ate anything and I, and I burned off as many calories as I possibly could. So he suggested several ways that I could go about um, recovery, uh, recovering. And one of the, um, one of his suggestions was to go to family therapy at the Ackerman Institute, uh, in New York. And so I did that and I did that with my family for a year. And then I moved on to therapy for myself. And I, I was not in OA. I hadn't found OA, 
way back, my mother had suggested OA and, and it was, my mother suggesting anything was, was just about enough. She might've, might as well said, don't ever do this because anything my mother said, I, I just went the opposite direction. So I, I didn't even investigate it. When I moved to LA in 1985 and my weight was a little bit up. I was, um, still, still quite low. I was in, I was probably weighed in, in the nineties. Maybe I broke a hundred at that point. Excuse me. I have to let my dog out. I'm sorry. Go ahead, chat. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, that's what happens when you have to live in an apartment. Um, so, um, what was I saying? I went to family therapy for a year and then I moved on to therapy and then I did not, okay, I did not, um, I was not in OA and I moved out to LA in 1985 and I found a therapist out here and I was only seeing her for six months and it was, it really was like the universe sent her to me because she, she died at the end of six months. But in that time, she was able to uh, introduce me to Overeaters Anonymous. And I went to one, my first meeting I went to was an OA for AA meeting. And it was very foreign to me. It was in a church basement, which was odd for me. I grew up Jewish. Um, going to a church was, well, any, any corner of religious thing was weird to me. And then at the end, we said the Lord's Prayer, and that was kind of weird. And so I told her, I said, well, it really wasn't for me. So she said, okay, which was something I wasn't used to. You know, I wasn't used to somebody saying, listening to what I said. I was always, I was used to people like shoving things down my throat, basically. Interesting metaphor. Um, so a couple of months later, she mentioned to me that she had met this woman who went to uh, an OA meeting where the emphasis was on anorexia and bulimia. And she said, hey, you know, you may, may as well give this woman a call, see what she has to say. And I really trusted my therapist. So I thought, okay, I'll give her a call. So we're talking and she's telling me about the meeting and she says, oh, you won't believe some of the stories that you'll hear at this meeting. It's, they're really amazing. She said like one woman was sharing that she used to chew her food and then swallow it and then bring it right up and then chew it again and then swallow it and bring it right up. And my response to her was, oh, wow. Um, because I didn't want to admit to her that that's what I've been doing for years. And, um, but as soon as I heard that, I knew I had to go to this meeting. I mean, I'd never heard of anybody who, who did what I did. So I went to this meeting. It was in Westwood at the federal building. And as soon as I was there and the meeting began and I heard the people speaking, I knew I was in the right place. And I think I may have even shared that night and I cried and it was, it was just amazing to me that I had found a place where I could share my story and I could hear other people's stories and I could relate. 
because I had gone through so many years of, of my disease by myself. And with, no matter, even, if the, even though I was in therapy, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same as having other people who understood the dynamic, who really, really had lived it. So I kept going back to that meeting and there was another one. Uh, there were two meetings that week that um, during the week that were anorexic bulimic emphasis. And it was very important for me to go to meetings that had an anorexic emphasis because I was so at the beginning of my recovery that I really needed to hear stories that were um, tangibly like mine. And then as time went on, I could go to any OA meeting and ultimately I could go to any 12-step meeting if I needed to, if I was out of town, because it was the same principle. Um, and um, this was, I, I went to that meeting in February of 1986. In April, um, it was either April 4th, 5th, or 6th. Uh, so I celebrate the fifth. Um, I became abstinent from swallowing up my food, and that was that was my only that was my bottom line abstinence that I would not swallow up my food. And um, and then as I went on in program, my abstinence changed and my recovery grew. And I, I wasn't, I was eating very little still. I was eating very little. I would only eat a very small breakfast and I wouldn't eat lunch. I would have like maybe a frozen yogurt or an apple or something like that. And um, had headaches because I wasn't eating enough food. If somebody asked to meet me for lunch and I had already eaten my breakfast, I would basically lie and say, oh, I have plans or something like that. But uh Let's make a plan for another day. And then if I could plan a lunch ahead of time, then I could compensate and not eat breakfast. And then I could have lunch. So anyway, I, in 1989, I had this job and um, everybody would go to lunch together. And I would join them, but I wouldn't eat. And I would say, oh, I'm not hungry. Meanwhile, I was starving. And the smells of the food were driving me crazy. And, and these people, <coughs> excuse me, were beautiful, fit people. Uh, and they were eating lunch. And it was amazing to me. I was like, why do they get to eat lunch? And I don't get to eat lunch. Um, so finally, one day, we're all out to lunch together. And I'm sitting next to this guy. I, who was, I, with whom I was working, and he said to me, why don't you have something? And I said, no, nah, I'm really not. He said, just have something. Have a chicken, have a chicken breast sandwich. So I, I guess I felt peer pressure, and I relented, and I had a chicken breast sandwich, and oh my God, it tasted so good, and I felt so good, and I wasn't exhausted by the end of the day and I didn't have a headache in the afternoon. And so then I added, I added three, basically my abstinence became three meals and a snack and it opened up my life socially, 
because I could go out with friends for lunch. And it opened up my life uh, because I was uh, feeling like I was, uh, you know, I, I felt fit. I felt like I was answering my body's needs. So I've maintained, um, I, I, don't, I don't weigh myself anymore, but I've maintained a, uh, a weight gain that has fluctuated over time. Um, uh, I don't know what I weigh now. I've weighed as I've weighed as much as 121 pounds, which was uncomfortable for me. It was it felt like a little too much for me, and I did slip down to 98 pounds when I was under a lot of stress. But I was really concerned about it. That was that was the difference. And then I got I got back up and and. My happy place, I think, is like between 110 and 115, I think. But I have to say that during um, this quarantine, as many people have, I put on waist. And I haven't weighed myself, but I know because I can wear my jeans without a belt now. And I am, I am really not happy. I am really not happy. Um, and this is tough. This is after 34 years of abstinence. I'm having a hard time with this. And I'm working with my sponsor on it. And I'm working with my therapist on it. Um, but I have, an, I have a sponsor who's an anorexic, which is really imperative for me. And, um, you know, she was saying to me today that your body knows where it needs to be. And I said, you know, I told my friend that I'm not a COVID-19. I'm a COVID-19 plus now. And um, I feel that um, it could be a sign of recovery for me that I've put on some weight. And, you know, I also have to face the fact that I'm 64 years old. And there's a part of me, to be brutally honest, that still believes that I am going to have a 35-year-old body, that I can get back to that. By diet and exercise, I can get back to the way I looked at 35. And it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Can you still see me or should I shut the blinds again? Anybody? It's okay? All right. Um, So I, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this has come, I mean, one of the, one of the most powerful uh, sentences, phrases, slogans, it's not really a slogan, but it's a quote from the big book um, for me is accept, and acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. Um, if I can accept where I'm at, whatever it is in my life. If I can accept that I have to wear a mask now, if I can accept that I can that I have to wear my jeans and I don't need a belt now, if I can accept the fact that I have the body of a healthy 64-year-old woman now, then I'm okay. It's when I think that I can power my way into what I want to be when I that's when I get into trouble. Um, do I still want to go on a diet? Yes. 
Do I still want to lose weight? Yes. Do I still look at freeze the fat billboards uh, when I'm driving and think, gee, that sounds like a good idea? Yes. Um, it's very seductive. Um, you know, we, we live in a, a real diet culture and um, as for an anorexic, it's very hard to live in this world and be in recovery. It's uh, particularly in Los Angeles. Um, very, very body conscious uh, city. And um, I hate it. I really hate it. I, I hate, I hate the, the, all the diet talk and, and the uh, how many calories this is and, and, and you know, uh, here's this new exercise program and, and you know, it can get, it can get obsessive. Um, and I can get obsessive. Um, here's an interesting thing that happened to me this week. Um, I've been having a, this pain in my finger, so I had a video uh, appointment with my doctor, with my primary care physician. And um, <clears throat> I was telling her that I was feeling depressed and she asked me why. And I said, because I put on some weight. And she said, well, what are you eating? And I told her and she said, are you exercising? I said, yeah. She said, well, maybe you need to eat less and exercise more. And that was incredibly unhelpful. And she knows I'm anorexic. And you know what? She's a fallible person and she just doesn't get it. So after I hung up with her, I wrote an email to her and I said, you know, for me to hear that, what you said, um, being an anorexic, it really messes with my head. I don't think that was good advice for me and I'd like to discuss this with you. And for me to be able to do that, to advocate for myself, was real recovery because I wanted to listen to her. I wanted to eat less and exercise more because I wanted the results. And um, so I talked to her about it and she only got it to a certain point. And you know, it's that saying, uh, I won't go to the hardware store for milk anymore. She's not the person to go to for that uh, issue in my life. I go to my sponsor for that. I go to my therapist for that. I speak to program people. I speak to the people who are closest to me in my life, my sister and my best friend who know me and who know that that's terrible advice to give me. That's just the worst kind of advice. So that was, a, that was real recovery for me this week. Um, I wish that I, um, I wish that I could like be completely finished with this disease. I wish it could be just gone. And um, and I accept the fact that that's not going to happen. <clears throat> that anorexia, just like alcoholism, is something that I'm going to live with my whole life. Um, and Maybe I don't love, maybe I don't love the way I look, but it doesn't mean I can't accept it. You know, accepting something doesn't mean that you love it. Accepting something just means to accept it, that it is the way it is. 
um, you know, I look at myself in the mirror now and I don't like, I don't like the body I see. Um, there have been times in my life that I have liked it and maybe I'll like it again. But for today, right now in this, at this time, I don't like it, but I can accept it. I have to accept it. I have to, or else I go back down that slippery slope. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to share. Um, um, oh, I want to share one, one thing that was recommended to me by one of my sponsors that has really helped me, my morning, my morning writing. Um, Kathy, you have to... I write... Thank you. Um, I... Um, most mornings I do this writing. I write three things that I'm grateful for, three things that I'm powerless over, and three things that I did well. And the did wells are thing are something that um, doesn't come to me or didn't come to me naturally because be, someone being you know feeling that I was never good enough, there was nothing I did well because it all sucked. But being able to do that now is is a terrific thing, and being able to separate out the things that I'm powerless over and the things that I can control. Um, is so helpful for me. And of course, I think everybody knows who has experience with it, how powerful gratitude is. Um, I have a lot to be grateful for. Um, I, was, I was recently diagnosed with breast cancer at the beginning of February. And I had surgery at the beginning of March and I'm now uh, undergoing radiation and I have only six more treatments to go. And I am so lucky. I consider myself such a lucky person. It was caught so early. And for me to be able to look at something like that <laughs> in a positive light is pretty amazing. Um, that I can think that, hey, I'm a breast cancer survivor. I'm so proud of myself. And um, I'm lucky. I'm a lucky person. Instead of going, oh shit, why did I? Why did this have to happen to me? Everything bad happens to me. Um, why do I have to be in quarantine? Blah 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 blah. I just gratitude can turn your life around. It really can, and um, and it, it 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 does that for me. Whenever whenever I'm feeling low. I can turn to my gratitude list and it usually does the trick for me. And I think I'm going to end now because I think I've pretty much told my story and I've told you about what, it, what it's been like for me in program and what it's like now. And I wish I could tell you that I was a perfect person and that I had all the answers for you and I don't, but all I can say is, work your program to the best of your ability each day, one day at a time, just keep coming back and, and work the program and you will see results. You will see results. And I fully intend, I fully expect that one day I'm, I'm going to be able to look at my body as it is now and go, I'm in pretty good shape for a 64 year old woman, or if it's not until I'm 65 for a 65 year old woman. But I'm very happy to be here. I love this meeting. It's a it's a terrific meeting, and it's a, it's a, amazing. How many people are here? 168 people. That's fantastic. 
That's the upside of Zoom. That's the upside of quarantine is that we get to meet all these people from different parts of the country and different parts of the world and, and be together in program. So thank you very much. It's been my honor to share with you. It's now time for questions, if anybody has any in these last few minutes. <clears throat> okay, uh, could we take a question what happened? from Bailey, please? Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Um, hi, Kathy, thank you so much for your share. Um, I was just curious if you could talk a little bit about um, how you define your higher power now and um, sort of day by day what how you connect with your higher power. That's a great question. Um, it's something I completely skipped over and and I guess my higher power sent you to ask that question so that I could speak about it. Um, you know, when I, I grew up, uh, I was raised Jewish, but I never really felt a connection to organized religion. And um, I guess I, I initially in program, I, I believed in God. And then I found myself not really feeling comfortable with the concept of, of God as certainly not as a, uh, a, a male figure. Um, I my higher power became um, the universe, the cosmos, because that's clearly bigger than I am. But I had this epiphany sort of in, um, in uh, bed one night, I was lying in bed going to sleep and I, I thought that my higher power was a higher version of myself that I believed like that, that we exist on different planes, like different levels of consciousness. And then my higher power was me at a higher level of consciousness. So that's, that's another image that I have of my higher power. It's the, it's the part of me that is tapped into the universe, I guess. Our next question is from Veronica B. Hi, thank you, Veronica, compulsive operator and bulimic. Thank you so much for your share. Um, I like what you mentioned, the three things that you write about in the morning. And I think you mentioned that you write in the morning. I just want an example of like, what are three things that you did well if it's so early in the morning? Um, um, I'm, just so, really, oh, I'm really curious. I mean, sometimes I, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't roll out of bed and write. I, I do some things beforehand. So, and sometimes I mention things that I, from the day before if it's really early I mean today I um I didn't get to write until <clears throat> well into the morning so like I went to Target this morning and I I felt that that was a real accomplishment I went at eight o'clock which was a big deal and I took care of my dog which is a big deal because I love my dog more than almost anything and um um and, I, I, and, you know, I try not to make it something that's monumental. It can be something very little. I made the bed, that kind of thing. I washed the dishes. I put the clean dishes away, that, that kind of stuff. You know, keep it, I, I try to keep it 
really simple. Um, thank you. Our next question is from Shireen. Hi, thank you so much for your share. I really appreciate it and could relate to a lot of it. Um, my question is, how long did it start for you um, that you were able to eat foods that you were fearful of? Um, some foods I'm still fearful of, but I kind of, kind of, I, I dip my toe in the water and I, mm -hmm. and I try, I don't like take on everything at once, but maybe I'll have, uh, I mean, I'm, bread works for me fine. And, and that, that's something that, um, I will let myself have. Um, hot fudge Sunday is something that I've always wanted to have again. And I, and I was able to do that several years ago. My then boyfriend took me out for a hot fudge Sunday. Um, and that felt really good. And I know that's not in everybody's abstinence to have sugar or flour, but, um, fried foods, I'm real deep fried foods. I'm really not happy with, but I will let myself have one or two pieces of something. You know, I really, I really find that moderation works very well with almost anything. Thank you. Uh, next question from Jane WB. Hi, Kathy. Thank you so much for your share. I was just wondering, um, what usually do you do if you, uh, when you feel anxiety and has your um, solution? for that um, during this time uh, change when you feel anxiety? Um, sometimes a walk really helps me, like moving my body can really help me with anxiety. Um, writing can help me. Uh, calling somebody can help me. I have to stop the wheels from spinning in my head and listening. You know, anxiety is just listening to the same thing over and over and over again in my head. So if I can get out of my head, help somebody else or uh, talk to, you know, just, just get out of my head. And a change of scenery really does help, you know, physically picking myself up from where I'm sitting and going someplace else does help. Thank you. 